Welcome to the Productivityist Podcast. I'm Mike Vardy, the founder of Productivityist and Productivity Strategist. This week on the show, I have Phil Simon in discussion with me. We talk about his new book, Message Not Received, Why Business Communication is Broken and How to Fix It. And I, I've got to say, this book has been something we've needed for a long, long time. So I strongly encourage you to pick it up, give it a read, but not before you listen to this week's episode of the podcast. So I want to talk to you about this book. First off, this book came to my attention because uh, you dropped me an email when you were working on it saying, hey, you have something that I want to use in this book. Can you, uh, are you okay with that? And I was like, you want to, you want to cite me in a book? Like, I think that's a different scenario. Someone said, you know, like I've written books, but once you're cited in another person's book, it kind of changes the game a little bit, don't you think? It's nice. I mean, I've endorsed a few books, and I think I've been quoted in some books. In fact, it's funny, when this book came out, a guy tweeted at me, basically saying, what, do you think I'm full of jargon? And I'm going, oh, you must have gotten a pirated copy of the book because he used this horrible sentence that I used as an example of, of how not to communicate. And I said, how did you come, up, come to know about this? And he said, Google book alerts. So um, <laughs> uh, we, we made nice. I'm sending him a copy, and the guy agreed that his particular sentence, which featured case study as a verb, uh, really wasn't the most effective way to communicate, particularly at the beginning of an article when, as you know, of the, the F-curve, right? If, if your article sucks, people aren't going to keep reading it. They, they skim and then they leave, right? Right, right. So, um, yeah, I'm happy to quote you because um, my publisher tends to be a bit persnickety when it comes to permissions. And if it's on the web and I want to use over, I think it's 60 words, then I need to get a form signed. But uh, you know, it happened for a good reason, and we have a lot in common, and I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we, we really connected, and I mean, both of us used to do this. We can get into that a little bit later, but one of the things I want to talk about is is the book. Um, I'm a big believer, and, and this is where I think the quote came from, is, is the fact that email is misused by the users in a lot of ways. Uh, and I, in this book, you particularly talk about the how, not just, not, not necessarily the the way that I talk about it, which is, you know, urgency, you know, why are we using email in this way versus this way? You do dive into that, but more the, the terminology, like the, we kind of, we kind of try to use email as a way to sound, to make our, make ourselves sound either busier or or, or more, or we, we get the message mixed up, right? Like, and I think that that's something that causes us to lose time. So why do you, why do you think people are using terminology in email uh, that kind of causes that disconnect and, and makes basically, as your book says, causes the message to not be received? Well, I think there are a couple things, Mike. Uh, first up, even if you are very clear in email, and most of us think we are sending clear emails, right? Um, research proves that that's not the case. In fact, um, in one of the studies I cite for the book, they asked people, are you, do you think you're being clear in your messages? And 80% of them said yes, which kind of struck me as a low number. I don't know the one in five who says, yeah, that's me. I'm not being clear. And when they asked people, was this message received, 75% of them in person said yes, because I can see your tone of voice or hear your tone of voice. I can see your expressions, right? But when it came to email, the message was only fully received about 56% of the time. So it was a coin flip. And that's if people thought they were being clear. Never mind if people are harried, they make typos, they try to sound all important. So there are all sorts of reasons for that. I think that communication in general is broken in the business world. That's one of the reasons I wrote the book. But I think that it's fixable. And if we use simpler language in tools other than email, some of those tools are newer, uh, like a HipChat or a Smartsheet or Jive or Yammer or Todoist or many of the other ones. 
but some of them are old school, like the telephone. In fact, one of my favorite stories of the book is from Amazon. And at senior meetings, they don't do PowerPoint. They spend the first 30 minutes in silence reading maximum six-page papers because Jeff Bezos believes that they induce clear thought and thinking. So sometimes it's new tools, sometimes it's old tools, but regardless of the tool, using a bunch of jargon isn't likely to communicate well. And when you think about it, the word communicate means to make common. People forget that. When they drop all these acronyms and bizarre terms, if I don't know what they are, then I either have to ask and appear to be stupid, or I'm just going to tune you out, whip out my iPhone, or ignore it altogether. And those aren't really good outcomes if you're the sender. Why do you think we've gone to this acronym world? Because I know when we read a lot of like nonfiction books, a lot of them love to, because they feel that they kind of connect with people, if you can say, they're easy to remember, but yet they cause that disconnect that you're mentioning. Why, why have people gone to this like kind of jargon that, you know, does cause these things to become less common when you're trying to talk to a, a variety of people in the business, in the business, you know, workspace or field that you're in? Well, there are a lot of reasons, and I'll be the first to admit, Mike, that jargon's been around for centuries. I did a lot of research for this book, and hundreds of years ago, people used to complain about the evolution of the language. There's a great quote in the book from George Orwell in 1946 about how language is changing and not for the better, but we control the words that we use. I do think, to your question, though, that things have become a bit worse, and there are a lot of reasons for that. In the book, I, I write about the importance of SEO. And if you define a term and you own that term and you show up on the first page of, of Google search results, the top 10, then you're going to get exponentially more traffic than if you show up on page two, never mind page 200. There's also just more stuff out there. And yeah, there are plenty of acronyms that you and I know, like ASAP or FYI or CYA, but we are seeing more and more of them because there's just more stuff. There's more technology. There's more data. Things are changing faster than ever, researching the book. I was able to uncover research that proved what I long suspected. In other words, things are getting faster. It's not just, wow, that just happened yesterday. But because there's so much, we're being hit with information all the time, no one's really bored. And if you're an author and you're writing a book about social media and it's just the same take, then you know what? Why do I need to read this book? Thousands of books have been written about social media. But if you throw out new fangled terms that don't make any sense yeah they could be nonsense and they probably are but it may catch on so who the hell knows i i understand it but i don't agree with it um in the past i've explained things like big data subject of one of my books to a teenager and i did that not by talking about hadoop and distributed file systems and unstructured data and things that a teenager w couldn't really understand or, or doesn't care about i did it by explaining facebook and twitter and youtube and things that he or she did know. And then when you put all that data together, so uh, many people forget their audiences and it takes to your, to your point, just a few seconds to explain an acronym or define it. And so many people forget that. So I don't know why people don't just think that they're, um, it's worth a few seconds to define a term when even if 10% of the people don't know it, are you really in a bad spot because you don't care about that 10%? I, I, who knows why people do what they do, man? I think it's, I think, in my mind, it's, it's, it has to do with being clever. You know, in a lot of ways, it's like, let's be clever. Let's find a way to speed up this process. But as you know, and I've talked about this before, too, like if you speed up the wrong things, then it it's not effective, right? You know, you got to work on the right things. So what about the mediums that people use to communicate? You know, um, like I, I was saying, and then one of the things we, you mentioned in the book is like email, how to, you know, how to really treat email. Um, 
when it comes to to the mediums that we use for communicating, why are we we have so many choices, right? We do. We have a lot of different choices, but many of them are so new that we just don't quite know how to use them. What What are your thoughts on on you know the fact that there's now you know, obviously there's the phone, which has been around for a long time. There's the you know the handwritten memo or letter that you could you could write out. There's the fax. There's the email. There's the like. How do how do people navigate this space so that they can be more effective in their communication? I feel like we do it differently as consumers than as workers or employees. And there's also a huge age chasm, right? Ask a 60-year-old what Snapchat or Instagram is or WhatsApp. What? But interestingly, millennials tend to scoff at email, right? At least on a personal level at work, they may be thrown into it. So researching the book, I was really intrigued that there were all these options available to us as consumers. And you hear stats about how 6 billion messages are sent a day on WhatsApp or Snapchat, and you hear about these valuations that just blow your mind. Yet in the workplace, we often default to email when there are truly collaborative tools. And with regard to voice, it's, it's funny how that's kind of petering out. There are some companies now that have banned voicemail. Mm. And people don't use it. Why should we pay for it if nobody uses it? So I think that there's this um, change taking place on the consumer level but if you go into many traditional companies, certainly large and mature ones, they will often stick to email. And there are reasons for that, right? There's a cover-your-ass element to it. Things are official. IT may not sanction an individual tool. People don't have time to learn a new tool. They're not like you and me. I find out about Todoist, and I play with it. And then a week later, I go, why would I use anything else? And whatever your, your tool is, it doesn't really matter. You and I explore a lot because we're naturally curious. We're geeks. We work for ourselves. But... I think there's always a reason not to do things, and it's unfortunate because when I think about 18 email chains back and forth that could have been resolved in a two-minute screen-sharing session or a phone call, you just think, that isn't very productive, don't you think? Uh, one of the things that we were talking about before we started recording was uh, Atlassian's uh, hip chat ads with uh, Lumberg. Uh, I'm an Office Space fan too. I know you mentioned before that you're. I actually had the red stapler for a while. I bought the box. <laughs> I think, but it was it was it was. I think I used it as a stapler instead of actually just letting it lie as a cosmetic, uh, you know, kind of avatar. And yeah, I don't have the red stapler anymore. Um, but I was but, told that I'd be listen, be able to listen to my radio at a reasonable volume. <laughs> If you haven't, I'll put the, the show notes, uh, a link to Office Space, because <laughs> as well as to these ads, what my favorite one, and you can't embed, uh, one of the things that, that, that they're right on the site, which is great, is, is the is the email thread. You just mentioned mm. the line where it just keeps going and going, and Lumberg talks about the shades of, like, oh, look, that's more of a turquoise than it is a blue, and and I, I just, I find that people are using the like email would be a great example because it has that that cache ability right you know the ability to store and and be official and 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 have a level of both import and what people give it that level of urgency right um i think that there needs to be that training or that that kind of understanding because it doesn't matter what program you use like you said the i mean there are lots of different applications out there email is email you use gmail outlook whatever obviously different organizations acquire different needs due to security protocols and such but i would love to see and i know you talk about in your book and i want to give you maybe speak to it is email etiquette that kind of says okay look 
This is the kind of message that would be ideally sent over email. This is the kind that you would want to use like an IM for. And this is the kind of message that, this is the kind of thing that shouldn't be an email at all, right? Yeah, I mean, we could run down the reasons, Mike, that email is so pervasive. I'm old enough to remember receiving my first email in 1992 and said, my gosh, I no longer I was in college, have to send copied letters to my friends to let them know how I'm doing. So I, I get it. And email certainly is convenient. It's cheap. It's ubiquitous. Do you know anyone who doesn't have an email address, particularly in the corporate world? It's also, as you know, so convenient, right? It was one thing if you go back to, say, 1997. No one really had smartphones. Maybe you had a laptop. But regardless, you needed to be in front of a computer. And you usually needed to dial into a VPN. These days, you just whip out your smartphone, which is always with you. We touch our smartphones 150 times a day. People sleep next to their smartphones. Something like 90% of people check their smartphones within 15 minutes of getting up. So we live in this world in which we're constantly connected. So I understand the need to use email. And I'm not anti-email. I think it's very useful. If it's, say, Phil, we want to book you for a speaking gig. Phil, we want to buy a bunch of your books or an email from a friend. But to get to your point about etiquette, you're absolutely right. There is no reason for us to do everything over email. I, there's a story in the book about how um, a couple of years ago I was at a conference with one of my clients, and to make a long story short, I get a text saying, hey, Phil, you know, you really behaved inappropriately. Not the first time, but concerning. I don't like to irritate my clients. I pick up the phone, call this person, leave a message, get a text back, got your voicemail, and she laid into me again. And I said to myself, we're not doing this over text or, or email. This is an in-person conversation. I want you to understand where I came from. And it's so easy, right? I, I write for Wired Magazine and my posts get decent traffic, but I always look at the comments and it's the trolls, right? Mm. You're an idiot, right? This is terrible. Who paid you to write this post? Blah, blah, blah. But no one would ever say that to me in person. So I think a lot gets lost through a text-based message, whether it's email or text. And there are real benefits to having in-person conversations uh, particularly if it's about something difficult, or even if it's just to catch up or explore opportunities. Uh, if, I mean, I, I'm of the opinion, and I'm sure you share this, that everything that I write within limits, I want to answer once. That way it's on my website, and I can point someone to a URL versus typing out the same 25-word or 100-word response all the time. It's just a better way of working. Uh, yeah, actually, if, funnily enough, yesterday uh, I had somebody uh... – trying to understand how they could manage their time better. And I taught, I explained to them, well, you should try working by context instead of by project. And hmm. I tried to explain it a little bit in the, in the, it was in a Google plus post and I tried to explain it a little bit. And then they said, I'm thanks so much. Love the, but I still don't quite get what you're talking about. Could you explain a bit more? And I'm like, I'm not writing this out again, as much as I love talking about it. I've talked about it. So here are, and I didn't want to, that's the other danger. Social media can be tricky with this too, right? Because Social media is all about being authentic and genuine and having real, like, I think in my mind, not just being informed, but having conversational. You can actually have a decent conversation on social media. Um, but you, you ha there's a fine line between being conversational and then eventually going to the self-promotional side where it's too far gone. And that's why I don't, again, it's about being intentional with it, right? It's about being worth saying, okay, you know what? I could have just replied to this guy initially and said, Check out all, I'm a productivity strategist, check out all the posts I've written about this, right? As opposed to, let me try to help you through, and I think, again, being intentional with the communications, what you're trying to get across in this book, right, is is pay attention to what you're doing and, and make sure it's driven by the proper intent. Like, 
don't lose sight of the intention of what you're trying to get across just for the sake of speed or the sake of jargon or whatever. I mean, just get right. that message out there um, in a way that can be digestible and accessible because, um, I mean, cavemen wrote on walls, you know, <laughs> thousands of years, millions of years ago, whatever it is, right? And we could look at those and, I mean, there's hieroglyphs. We could see all these different styles of communication. And what they mean to one person might mean something to someone completely different. Sure. And the goal, especially as we have more and more information coming our way, I'm sure you have you read Clay Johnson's The Information Diet? That one I've not read, no. It's it's phenomenal because he talks about so much stuff coming at us. We need to stop a certain amount of information and go on a bit of an information diet so that we can start to mm. you know digest the right information. I think that some people need to like stop what they're saying and stop how they're saying it and just kind of be more more critically thoughtful about what they well, what they say. Sure, more deliberate. One of the most famous quotes about communication probably in the history of civilization is Marshall McLuhan's The Medium is the Message. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, it, I'm hard-pressed to think of any five-word sentence that has had so much written about it, but you're right. The, the mere fact that you're communicating with someone over Twitter, for example, or d direct message or email or Facebook or whatever, plays a large part in the overall message itself, right? Yeah, you're not going to... So, uh, yeah, I, I actually would like people to think, rather than just respond to everyone on an email, think about whether that email needs to be sent. Think about it. Make, if it makes sense to uh, have a phone conversation, um, set up a meeting, use some of these different tools. If it's something that some other people will want to know, then why doesn't exist in some sort of internal collaboration tool? So, Phil, this book has definitely been needed for a while. Right. There's no question about why. What took you so long to write it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, gosh, uh, I'm averaging a book a year. So this is number seven in six years. But uh, no, I, just as a way of um, giving you the backstory, Mike, I have written books about management and technology and data. And as I was thinking about my next book uh, about a year ago, it just occurred to me that whether it was platforms or IT projects or big data or social media, any of that stuff, none of it matters unless people understand it. And there was just a dearth of understanding out there the way that I saw it. So to me, this book isn't necessarily a departure for some of the other ones. It kind of builds on it. And when people talk about all these different terms and jargon and people are deluged with emails, there could be some really interesting stuff in there that could help them, as you know. But they can't open their eyes. They're, they're swimming in a thousand messages in their inbox. Or they're so inured with their own habits that they look at something like Todoist or Smartsheet or HipChat or anything else, and even though in theory they may agree, they don't have time to learn. And I just I find it silly that if email is something we did three minutes a day, who cares it's only three minutes? But according to my research, the average person spends about 28% of his or her day swimming in email, and that number is increasing at 15% a year. So uh, I think it was Voltaire who said, if not now, when? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's never a great time. And yes, there's always a learning curve, no matter how simple the tool. But as I'm sure you would agree, in many cases, the squeeze is worth the juice. Now, before people go out and pick up the book, which they will do, and I'm holding it in my hands. This is not a, a video podcast, but Phil can see if I'm holding it right here, right now. What's one, what's the, if you're going to give somebody one nugget out of this book right now, one tip that can get them started on their way to you know communicating better, what would it be? Just one, huh? Just one. It's like the Chris Jericho question on the talk is, what's your favorite match, he asks people. And they're like, just one match? Yes, just one match. Pick your favorite. 
or maybe the one that's going to get the one the easiest one for somebody to start and that way they can get the results okay. they want right away actually rather than a tip i'm going to throw a quote at you and it's from george bernard shaw who is a um, philosopher um, english writer and he said the single biggest communication uh, i'm sorry the single biggest issue in communication is the illusion that it exists or that it's taken place and I think that's very important to remember. Of course, I was clear. I gave a talk. I sent an email. But just because you sent the message doesn't mean, A, that it was received, and B, that it was fully received and understood. So, um, I sort of butchered the quote a little bit, but uh, it is a particularly good one. It's George Bernard Shaw. He's a dramatist. Of course, he, if anybody's got to try to get their message across... And that's the interesting thing about something like dramatic uh, works, right? I mean, what it means to one person, it's going to mean something completely different to another, right? So I'm hard-pressed to think of a better way to maximize the chance that others get your message than to use as little jargon as possible. And if you sense that people aren't quite getting it, sending that 18th email may not be the best way to go. I have a three-email rule in my signature after three we talk, and I'm not afraid to invoke it, and some people get annoyed. But I just tell them this is kind of how I roll. And you know, sometimes I'll have to suspend that rule if it's a time zone issue or if someone's 75 years old and I know they're not going to get on a join.me session or on Skype. But I just think that uh, learning these new tools is fun and I think it kind of keeps you young. It's just a better way of working. But I mean, that creates conversation, right? That The, the idea of putting that in the box. I mean, I noticed that. If you, I mean, you can't help but notice it. You make it very, very clear. But is I know the seventy-two point font, or the, <laughs> or the, or the ants, or the Vegas lights. Well, it's green, and I'm a big fan <laughs> of green, right? Like it shows up as green on my monitor. So anyway, okay. so I, I, uh, um, I have one in mind. It's a little bit more subdued, but it basically says, you know, hey, if you want to reach me. I only check email two to three times per day. Right, right. If you want to reach me right away, click here, and it takes me to a wayfind, which is kind of like an enhanced version of like a canned response. And I'm actually, it's as as we're recording this, it's now active because I am leaving for vacation. So uh, if people want to reach me right away, they click on this form, and and it causes someone to yes think a little bit more about what they want. You know, like okay, well, I know that I've now got to fill out this form. Do I want to fill out this form? Like, how important is this? And if they do fill out the form, they're going to be a lot clearer because they already know I'm kind of putting up some little gates along the way. Uh, and I think that that using tools like that are fine. I mean, it's the same reason why you schedule once and you and I have used this book because it creates these kind of boundaries there that may not exist otherwise because, again, like we were saying earlier on, users just are like, well, this is a shiny new thing I'm going to use and this is what I've been using it with other people for. So it's got maybe it's kind of up to, especially with this book, um, a guy like you and, and in terms of, of communication to say, hey, um, I'm going to help you with making sure that your messages get received loud and clear. Yeah, email is almost too easy. I agree with you. And it's tough sometimes for people to prioritize. In fact, I did an interview with um, MIT a, a month ago. I don't think it's gone live yet. But one of the questions was, if you were CEO, how would you deal with the problem? And one of my thoughts was an email tax, one cent for email, right? Nothing that would break the bank. But if you send, let's say you get the first 50 free. And if you send 120 emails a day, you pay 70 cents a day. And at the end of every month, you saw from your paycheck a deduction of $15. Really? I'm being so you would notice that. And the fact that there's just a little bit of friction in the form of one cent may cause you to think, do I really need to send that email? So 
So I have all sorts of crazy ideas, but the bottom line is, as I argue in the book, in many companies, how we're working isn't working. And my hope is that the book will start a conversation. I don't have all the answers. I'm certainly not the arbiter of what is and what is not jargon. But I really do think that things are kind of out of control. And if you look at future trends, it's just going to get worse. So why not shake things up and um, force people to think about their own messages? So that's kind of the goal with this book. Well, Phil, it's a great book. Uh, I've now I've, I've read it, of course, in in digital form, and this this will go with me to Mexico because uh, I won't know much of the language there either. I'm going to get mensaje no recibido. Um, see, I don't. Know. <laughs> yeah, what... uh, my Spanish is actually pretty good. <laughs> it's French here in Canada. But I'm I'm a bit better with the French stuff. Um, but where can people find well, one you? of my favorite quotes from Bill Murray in uh, Groundhog Day when he knows that she's into French poetry and. Um, he rattles off this beautiful French line that he practiced over and over again. And she goes, you speak French. And he just looks at her dead serious and goes, we oui. <laughs> groundhog day is one of my favorite, favorite classic movies. I mean, it's not, even, it's not that old, but it's a great movie. Um, in fact, it's oh, how I all time favorite lines. Eh? What if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. It took me a year to figure that one out. It hurt my head. <laughs> It's actually how I start. I start my New Year's on Groundhog's Day because of that movie. Because I don't want the next year to be the exact same as the year before. So that's when I start my New Year. But that's that's the topic for another conversation. Uh, Phil, where can people get this book, Message Not Received, Why Business Communication is Broken and How to Fix It? And also, where can they find you on the internets? Books on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and digital, physical copy, all that stuff. It may be in bookstores. It may not. Online, I'm at philsimon.com, and on the Twitter, I'm at, at philsimon. Thanks again for joining me this week on the podcast, Phil. It's a great book, and a lot, people need to read this. If you, No matter whether you're working in the business world or not, this has got some really great practical tips and, and insights as to how you can craft your messages in a way that no matter whether you're, uh, uh, you know, your mother trying to send you a joke email every day or whether you're a CEO of a corporation – that, that's sending hundreds of emails that may not need to be necessary or, or not sure that why the message isn't getting across, this book will help you with that. So thanks again, Phil, for joining me this week. Thanks, Mike.